So I kind of feel like she was given three words to work into the announcements, swag, gnarly, and tubular, and she did it, <laughs> right? We would never do anything like that with the Sunday morning stuff. Hey, part two of me and my big mouth. If you weren't here last week, or maybe this is your first time at Grace Point, first time joining us online, I want to encourage you to go back and catch part one. Part one is kind of foundational uh, for everything that we're going to be talking about throughout um, this month. And those are the, the best way to do that is through our website or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can find that um, in multiple places and watch that, listen to it. Um, but those are there for free, forever, for anybody, uh, for you, for your family. Maybe this is a series you want to send to a family member. Who knows? You do whatever you want to do with that. Um, but those are there. And, 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 and honestly, like what we're talking about throughout this series is only scratching the surface of what we could talk about. We could talk about this for months and never, never get to anything. Um, but here's, here's where we'll start today. I am so, so grateful that God gave us a pause button when it comes to our mouths. But what we really needed was a rewind button, right? Like there are moments where I've paused and not said something that I've thought, but what I really need is a rewind. Okay, I want to take all of that back and shove it in my mouth. I've had multiple opportunities throughout my life where I've been able to, to think about this, but one of them happened in college. Um, I was uh, working as a student ambassador in the admissions office in, in college at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and that just meant that I answered phones and stuffed envelopes and took um, you know, prospective students on, on campus tours. And uh, one of the fun things about working in, in the admissions office was being able to work with other students. So we got to, to hang out and talk and, and all that different kind of stuff. And we would talk about multiple things. But one of the things that we talked about were, were our classes, our professors, you know, how you did on a certain paper or whatever. And at this point in my life or this point in, in my college career, I was a junior and I was taking a class on persuasive speech. It was one of the fillers. Uh, it was one of the electives that I had to get out of the way. And uh, we were actually just coming off our first assignment, the first persuasive speech that we had to give. Um, and I have no idea. I cannot remember what, what, I, what my persuasive speech was about. But I do remember one of my classmates because of what I'm getting ready to tell you. Um, we, we had to give our first persuasive speech, and, and, and this particular student, uh, she talked about how you should squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom for 20 minutes. For 20 minutes, we sat there and heard her over and over to give all of these reasons why we should squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube. And I don't know if I was tired or if I had a bad day or what, but I went to work directly after this in the admissions office. And I, I wasn't mean, I wasn't nasty, I was probably a little sarcastic, shocker, I know. But I, I started talking about this, this girl's speech, it was like she just went on and on for 20 minutes, and I'm like, just get, can we just get this over with? And, and Brittany, one of, my, one of the coworkers, one of the students that I was working with, she was a freshman, and Brittany, you just had to know Brittany, she had a very motherly vibe to her. As a freshman, like she was not the, the normal freshman in, in, in college, and so um, she looks at me and she says, so who gave the speech? And looking back, I really should have seen that that was a setup question. But she asked, so who gave the speech? And I told her who it was. And she, she, she stopped what she was doing. And she looked me right in the eye. 
and with daggers in her eyes, she said, she's actually one of my best friends, and I don't think you should talk about her like that. I'll just go and hide, right? Again, it's one of those moments where you want to rewind. <laughs> I really wish I would have known that before I started talking about that, Brittany. Would have been really good. I wouldn't have said anything that I just said. And I, I, I don't think I've ever felt this before, but I felt like a freshman girl had just put me in timeout, <laughs> right? And I, I, I put myself in timeout. I should be in timeout for, for saying some of those things. It's, it's me and my big mouth took me to a place that I shouldn't have ever gone because I didn't hit the pause button. And I learned something that day, and, and it's not like I wrote the message for today, that day, but it's one of the things that I walked away understanding, okay? And this is what I want us to talk about today. Our words matter because our relationships matter. Our words matter because our relationships matter. So I just want us to talk about this. I want us to have a conversation about why our words matter because our relationships matter. And we're going to go to the same block of scripture that we started last week, the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs has, has these little wisdom nuggets all throughout. Most of them are two liners. Um, but uh, of the hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs, about 150 of them have to do with the power of our words. And, and the ones we're going to look at today have to do with, with our relationships. I'll start with, with one of my favorites here. Um, Proverbs 27, 14. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> right? And all the coffee drinkers said... That's right, right. Like if Starbucks was around 3,000 years ago, I don't know if Solomon would have wrote this one. But, but, but behind this proverb, the idea behind this is to get us to think about what we say, to who we say, and some of you need to write this down, the volume at which we say it. Right? It's to get us to think about what we say, when we say it, and the volume to which we say, here's another one, a little more serious. We looked at this one last week, Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know this. There, there are words that wound and words that heal. Words that stab and words that stitch us up. Words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the conversation today is all about the words we say and how they are directly related to, the, to, to our relationships. And to be effective in our relationships is to be effective with our words. To be ineffective in our relationships is to be ineffective in our words. So I want us to talk about our words, but really this is more, this is more a conversation about our, our relationships today. Okay. So last week we looked at three categories, right? Today we're going to look at three questions and each of them are connected to a proverb. So we're going to, we're going to sit, we're going to soak, we're going to chew on some of these proverbs by sitting and soaking and chewing on some of these questions. All right. Here's, here's the first question. Are my words marked by humility? Are my words marked by humility? I'm probably the only one who needs this. So I'm just kind of talking to myself here, but you guys can listen in. All right. Are my words marked by humility? For proverb we're going to look at is Proverbs 27, 2. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. But Tim, if I don't tell them how awesome I am, how are they going to know? Right? 
But, but if, 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 if I don't tell them how important I am, how are they going to get it? Three words. Three words I'd like for you to say with me, okay? The three words are not my job, okay? You say those with me, ready? Not my job. Say it again. Not my job. Yeah, when you're around people that, that you respect or you look up to, maybe at work, maybe at church, maybe somewhere out in public, and, and you need to tell them about your accomplishments, about how good you are at something, about your successes, or maybe, maybe you know somebody that you think they're connected to and you want to show them that you actually know that person that you're connected to. Three words I want you to go through your mind. Not my job. It's not my job. Because isn't true, haven't you ever been on the other end of those situations where somebody gives you like their entire resume of accomplishments in the first eight minutes that you meet them? And you walk away going, what were they trying to prove there? That was weird. I didn't even know. Why, why are they? Here, here, here's what the proverb is saying. When we feel the need to mention our achievements, our accomplishments, our successes, or who we're connected to, we think we're coming across as someone who's important. But all we're really doing is showing how insecure and needy we are. It's coming across as insecure. Think about it like this. Um, the, the, the people that you're drawn to, people of achievement or accomplishment, it's much more easier to be drawn to them when they're humble than people who have to tell you about how humble they are, right? John Dixon um, is an author, wrote a book called Humilitas. It's a book about humility, talk about courage, writing a book about humility, but he did it. Um, and in an interview about this book, he talks about meeting this prestigious British scholar at the, the scholar's office. And he and his crew go into this, this scholar's office and um, the scholar asks, goes around to each and every person, there's seven to eight people there, and asks them what they want to drink. It's like, okay, you, you want coffee black, and you want coffee with two sugars, and you want tea, and, and he goes around to each and every individual, and John Dixon's sitting there going, okay, I think he's going to take these orders and give them to one of his assistants, and they're going to go do it. But he disappears with the list for several minutes, and he comes back, and it's, it's this, this prestigious British scholar who's prepared all the drinks, and he knows every drink that goes, here's your coffee black, here's your coffee with two sugars, here's your tea. He knows every single one of them, and he goes through every single one of them and serves them. And, and here's, here's the question that he walked away asking. Can you have big impact without acting like you're a big deal? It's a great question. It's a great question. Oftentimes we think, you know, I have, to, I have to be a big deal. I have to act like a big deal to have big impact. But John Dixon walked away from that conversation, walked away from that interaction going, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. And he, he goes on later on in the conversation and he says, when they start talking about scholarly opinion, like here's one scholar who believes this and on the other side, another scholar believes this. When they go back and forth, he said, during that conversation, even though I disagreed with this prestigious British scholar, I found myself siding with him simply because he served me earlier in the day. <laughs> he had a big impact on John simply by serving him. Here's a quote from, from his book. It says, in business, sport, the military, or anywhere you care to mention, we are more attracted to the great who are humble than to the great who know it and want everyone else to know it as well. 
Isn't that true? It's just true. Like we know this intuitively. I haven't told you anything that you don't know. It's far more impressive when it comes from somebody else. Yeah, um, I, I think she used to be a swimmer. Is that what she told you? She wasn't just a swimmer. She was a all-state college scholarship, almost made the Olympic team swimmer. She didn't tell me that. She just said she was a swimmer. Hey, it wasn't her job. It wasn't her job. It's far more impressive when you hear it from somebody else. Well, I heard he was in construction or something like that. Is that what he told you? Because it's not just constructing. He is one of the best finished carpenters in the entire city. If somebody wants this real intricate, like difficult job, his number is at the top of the list. And he's not only good, he's fast. Really? He never told me that. He just said he was in construction. It's more impressive. It's more impressive when you hear it from somebody else. You can make a big impact without acting like you're a big deal. So if our words matter, because our relationships matter, the first question we can ask is, are my words marked by humility? Not my job. Not my job. Which brings me to the second question. The second question is, are my words marked by honesty? Are my words marked by honesty? If the three words for humility are not my job, the three words for honesty are, is it true? Is it true? Say that with me. Is it true? Right. Now, the proverb here is one we should probably sit with for longer than we actually have time to sit with, but it's Proverbs 12, 22. It says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Uh, I, I can get that project to you by Friday. Can you? not a chance, but I'm going to tell you I can so you think I'm working harder than I really am. I can, I can let that go for 4000 I paid 5000 for it, but I'll let it go for 4000 Did you really? Hey, how much were those shoes? Uh, about $50. Were they really? One of them without the shoelaces, maybe, but no. <laughs> you know? Or, or a mom asked her 16-year-old, what'd you guys do last night? We hung out at Jill's house, watched a movie, ate some popcorn. Anything else? Hey, let, let, me, let me talk to those of you in middle school and high school for a second, all right? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to this, but I will plead with you if I have to. Do not get good at lying to your parents. I know that there are students and teammates and people around you that make it look cool, that make it look like it's something that you should get good at, that make it sound like your parents don't know anything, but I will plead with you, do not excel at bending the truth. Do not excel or make a habit of lying to your parents. And I know some of you cannot hear this right now, but I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to pray my socks off that the Holy Spirit files it deep into your heart for later down the road. Here's why I say that, okay? And I'm going to use a word that a lot of us are sick of over the last year, okay? Dishonesty does not quarantine well. It leaks. It leaks. You, 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 if you get into the habit of lying to your parents where you were, what you did, what, what, you know, who was there, any of those things, if you get good at it, 
you will, it will most likely spread to other areas of your life. You start by lying to your parents, but eventually you're lying to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Then you're lying to your fiance. Then you're lying to your spouse. Then you're, you're lying to coworkers. You're lying to your boss. You're lying to your friends. You're lying to your kids. And eventually you're just lying to yourself. Because dishonesty doesn't quarantine well. There will come a point downstream when you wake up one day and you're just a liar. Because it does not quarantine well. Middle school students, high school students, be ruthless about telling the truth. Be ruthless. I know it can be socially crippling right now, but it will be freeing to you later on in life. Be ruthless about telling the truth. So, so the question you should be asking is, okay, if I'm going to be truthful when I get home tonight, what does that mean about my behavior right now? If I want to walk in that door and be completely honest and feel free in what I say to my parents, how does that affect how I live when I'm not at home? Be ruthless about telling the truth. This is what I did. This is who I was with. This is where I went. You can be free. Whenever you say that, what we're talking about is being trustworthy, being a trustworthy person. And if you break down that word, you know what it means? Worthy of trust. It's worthy of trust. This is huge. And now I'm talking to all of us, not just middle school and high school students now. Lying may be, may be a good short-term strategy to get you out of trouble today, but it's a terrible long-term strategy. It's a terrible. People eventually figure you out. They eventually figure out you're a spin doctor, you're, you're a master of the half-truth, you, you fabricate, you twist things in order to control the situation or make other people think that you're something. And over time, people eventually figure that out, that you're not worthy of trust, and here is where it hits the fan. It kills relationships. Trust is the glue that holds relationships together. And if people eventually figure out you're not trustworthy, they don't want to have a relationship with you because they can't trust you. They can't trust what you're saying. It's, it's, it's solid, enduring, long-term relationships in family, in business, in friendship, whatever it is. It's very difficult to have those things if you're constantly breaking trust. Just think about it practically. Do you want to do business with somebody who tells the truth or who lies? Do you want to marry somebody who tells the truth or somebody who lies? Moms and dads, do you want your son or daughter to marry somebody who tells the truth or somebody who lies? And, and if that's how you want the people around you to act, did you know they want you to do the same thing? Be trustworthy. We all want the people around us to be truth tellers. And the people around us want the exact same thing. Our words matter because our relationships matter. But let's, let's go back to the proverb because this proverb, the rationale behind the proverb has nothing to do with your relationship with other people. There are other proverbs that talk about that, but that's not what this proverb talks about. This proverb talks about, it's actually revealing the heart of God towards people who have lying lips and people who are truth tellers. Look at, look at it again. The Lord detests lying lips, but he what? delights. He delights in those who tell the truth. God detests lying lips, but he delights in truth tellers. Why would God delight in truth tellers? 
Because in God's very character is someone in whom there is nothing but truth. There is only light. There is no darkness. It's only truth, no deceit. And when you're consistently telling the truth, there's something about that where you're actually aligning yourself with the character, with the person, with the, with the one in whose image you are made in. There's, there's something about lying that is ungodlike. It's ungodly. And there's something about telling the truth that is godlike or it's godly. So the reason God delights in those who tell the truth is because that's what he's like. And when we tell the truth, it's like his character, his likeness, the image in which you were created is actually formed in you and it's reflected in you. When, you, when, you're, when you're false, when you're deceitful, when you're lying, you're not reflecting the image of God. It's the opposite. So be, be godly. And again, these Proverbs were written about 700 years before Jesus. But I, I want to take you to, to a moment in time where Jesus' church was brand new. Okay? This is right after the, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection. All kinds of shady, sketchy people were starting to follow Jesus. They had no idea what the Proverbs were. They had no idea what the Hebrew scripture was. And in Ephesus, fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, the church, Jesus' church, starts to, to, to get um, momentum. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And basically what he's going to say is, this is your new identity in Christ. This is who you are. And now that you know that, here are some new habits for you to start developing. So here's, here's one of those new habits he teaches them. Ephesians 4.25. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now, here's the first thing I want you to notice. Paul wrote this to church people. He didn't write it to, 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 to pagans. He didn't write it to, to Romans. He didn't write it to Greeks. He wrote it to church people. They were following Jesus. They had a new life, but they still had some old habits. And Paul said, that's the old life, not the new life. That's the old way, not the, the, not the, that's the old habits. This is the new habits and that Jesus desires to form in you. So put that off, literally take it off like a shirt and set it aside. Take off, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So if, if, if one of the ways that we honor relationships through our words, I, I think one of the questions we should just we should just chew on, marinate, spin around in our heads. Is it true? Is what I'm saying here true? Is it true? Is it true? So, Tim, what you're saying is, if it's true, then I can say it. No. No, 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 no. Well, what do you mean I shouldn't say things like that? I'm just calling it like I see it right? I'm just being honest. Well, you'll just be alone if you keep saying that, right? There's a way, there's such a way that we can say things that are true and still break relationship, which brings us to our, our third and final question. Are my words marked by kindness? Is it humble? Is it honest? And is it kind? Here are a couple Proverbs for this one. We looked at one of these last week. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety weighs down the heart but a kind word cheers it up. Again, we talked about what is it about anxiety? What is it about worry that kind of weighs us down? And what is it about kind words that make it feel a little bit lighter? 
We can do that with each other. We can do that. Another one, Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. For the last 5,000 years, honey hasn't only been a sweetener for foods. Honey has been used medicinally as an antiseptic. They would use honey on, on scrapes and cuts to, to help the healing process go, go faster. So it's sweet in flavor, but it's also, it helps people heal. So as you, as you go into a new week, as you walk into this week, my question is simply, who are the people in your life starving for a kind word that's sweet to the soul and healthy for the body, healing for the body? Can I just give you a couple examples? We've got all kinds of teachers and school administrators, paraprofessionals, um, substitutes that are a part of our church. And, and, and this may be a bit of an exaggeration, but many of them have had to move heaven and earth this year to teach our children. Do you think towards the end of a school year, a teacher, a para, a secretary at a school might be starving for some kind words? Is that possible? Hey, you may be on the other side of the pandemic mentally and emotionally, but I guarantee you there are nurses and doctors and health officials and people that work in that health department that aren't. Do you think they might be starving for a kind word that's sweet to the soul and healthy for the body? Do you know anybody personally who works for the police force? Do you think they might be starving for some kind words right about now? And even if I say that, even as I say that, because of the culture we live in, some people will view that as unkind. Not for followers of Jesus. Sweet to the soul. Healing for the body. Do you know any leaders? Civic leaders, business leaders, coaches, church leaders, professors, anybody who's had to lead over the last year? and has had to, to, to deal with an enormous amount of criticism and second-guessing from the peanut gallery? Do you think leaders in your life might be starving for a kind word? Who is it? Who is it in your world, in your life, in your sphere of influence, in your relationships, who might be starving for a kind word? And what if we just assumed that everybody around us was there? What if we just assumed everybody was starving for a kind word? I don't think that, would be, that we'd be far off. And, and what's really wrong about giving out kind words like Halloween at candy? Candy at Halloween. What's, what's wrong with that? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just give out kind words. Are, are my words marked with humility? Not my job. Not my job. It's not my job. Are my words marked with honesty? Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? Are my words marked with kindness? Who in my life might be starving for a kind word? And, 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 and I know some of you would go, kindness? Really, Tim? <laughs> like, do, you, do you see what's going on in our world? This is not the time for kindness. This is the time for brutally honest conversation about all that's wrong. Okay. Okay. But here's my challenge. And I think it's actually a challenge from Jesus. I think I can make the case that it's a challenge from Scripture. How can we have brutally honest conversations 
without being brutal in the conversation. How, how it can be brutally honest without being brutal. Is it possible to bring kindness into hard conversations? I think it is. I think it is. I, I was introduced to another book this week. Um, it's called Before You Hit Send. I haven't read it. I don't have time to read for enjoyment right now, but, but the author writes to people. This is actually from the back side um, of the book. He says, you know that sphere of the brain that stops you from saying or typing something you shouldn't? I don't have one of those. That's who he writes this book to, okay? And I'm not gonna name names. Some of you should go to Amazon right after we're done and order this book, okay? But the author, the author talks about running our conversations through four grids, before you hit sin, before you say it out loud. He, and the four, the four grids are ask, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And is it clear? And I, I, just, I, I say all that to set up the quote from the book. This is what he says. People hear your words for truth, but they feel your words for kindness. People hear your words for truth. Is that is what they're saying true? But they feel it's an emotional response for kindness. I was so challenged by that quote this week. Because I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who tends to stay on this side of, well, that's true. <laughs> and I forget, yeah, it might have been true, but was it kind? People hear your words for truth. They feel your words for kindness. Here's another way to think about this. Can we talk to people? Can we take people to task? And this could be in the family, this could be at work, this could be in a friendship, this could be on Facebook. Can we take people to task and still communicate, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you, I'm not going anywhere, but that behavior needs to stop. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not calling you out just to call you out. I love you, I want what's best for you, that behavior is unacceptable. Can we have brutally honest conversations without being brutal? And this is, this, that's actually what Paul was trying to get to in, in the minds of the church in Ephesus. He's trying to get them to understand. We already looked at one part. This is Ephesians 4.15. Speaking the truth in what? Love. Speaking the truth in love. There's a challenge for some of us this week. Unadulterated truth brutal honesty without being brutal. Speaking the truth in love. We don't have to choose between the two. We don't have to see them as opposites. We can do both. We can speak truth, but we can do it in love, which is where we'll wrap this up. Our words matter because our relationships matter, and this is a lifelong process. James, the brother of Jesus, I looked at some of his words last week. He writes to Christians that he loved, that he wanted what was best for them. And do you know what James says about the tongue? <laughs> he says, no one can tame it. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. How do you like that for some hope today? Like, nobody will ever be able to tame their tongue like you. I'd like to take my tongue and put it on a reserve in West Africa with all the wild animals. Or take it and put it behind a glass in an aquarium. Or take it and lock it up somewhere like all the dangerous animals. But I can't do that. James says, you'll never be able to tame it. 
deadly poison. It's, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But what I can do, what we can do, is we can invite the Holy Spirit to minimize the damage that our tongue does. And one of the ways we can do that is, is are my words marked by humility? Are my words marked by honesty? And are my words marked by kindness? Is it humble? Is it honest? Is it kind? Not as easy. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a restless evil. But I think that's a challenge. I think that's worth stepping into because our relationships matter, which means our words should matter. Is it humble? Is it honest? And is it kind? Now, next week, next week we're going to come back. In part three, we're going to talk about gossip. So the church should be packed next week, <laughs> right? Tim Collins uh, from uh, Capital City Church is going to be here next week teaching part three of um, me and my big mouth. So I hope you come back and join us for that. But let me pray for us, and then we will get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that you bestowed on Solomon thousands and thousands of years ago. That's still completely relevant to our lives. We, we all struggle with this in different ways. It's, it's, it's the untamable tongue. And God, as, as James goes on to say, there's, there's praise and there's cursing that come out of the same place. God, we know, we, I think we understand, we feel this, this tension between the kind of people we want to be with our words and the kind of relationships we want to be with our words and, and the people that we are sometimes. But God, my, my prayer is that through your word, through your spirit, through the community of this church, of, of, of the small groups, of the D groups, of the one-on-one -on -one relationships, of the people that have, that, have, that have pursued biblical community, that you would use us, you would use your word, you would use your spirit to, to minimize the damage as much as possible, to transform us from the inside out by transforming the words that we say. God, help us as, as we leave this place. It's a whole lot easier for me to sit up here and say than it is to walk out these doors and do. But would you help us? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to do, the courage to walk out of this place, and just to chew on these, these questions? Is it, is it humble? Is it honest? Is it kind? Is it humble? Is it honest? Is it kind? And then we, we watch as our words actually help transform our relationships, help grow our relationships wherever we find ourselves. Help us to be people of humble, honest, and kind words. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Have a great week.